Matthew 27, and I'll be reading the entire chapter. When morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. I just need to stop and pray for us again here. Heavenly Father, I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would help us drive these truths into our hearts. Lord, help us to see these, these realities of what our Savior suffered for us on that cross. Lord, we can't comprehend what happened here unless you make it real for us by your Spirit. Work in our hearts now, we pray, for the glory of the name of our Lord and Savior. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief, chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing this down the, the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said it's not lawful to put them into the treasury since it is blood money. So they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him on whom a price had been set by some of the sons of Israel, and they gave, him, gave them for the potter's field as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You have said so. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave him no answer, not even a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. They then had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. When they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, having have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with this Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. 
Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put on a scarlet robe, and twisting together crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and a reed in his right hand, kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him, and they took the reed and struck him on the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him, and they led him away to be crucified. And as they went, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. When they came to the place called, called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But he, when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And then they crucified him. And they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him, if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were also opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion, the centurion, those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the, mothers, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, they came, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. And he went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own, in his own new tomb, which he cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray again together. Holy God, as we consider the events of Calvary that took place 2,000 years ago, 
border, we are far removed by time. We are far removed by geography. And Lord, so often we are far removed spiritually. Lord, I pray that through your spirit, you would bridge that gap. Lord, would you cause us to see afresh and to understand with our hearts and respond with faith and worship to all that Jesus accomplished for us in his life and in his death and Lord, as we'll see on Sunday in his resurrection. Lord, work in the hearts of your people. Lord, if there are those who are here this morning as unbelievers, Lord, we pray that you would work in their hearts as well, that you would cause them to see with spiritual eyes. For Lord, you say that, that unless, uh, unless we are born again, we cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Lord, we pray that you would cause many to be born again through th this message of the gospel here in this church and in, in every church in this city. We pray that the true gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed and that you would call people to yourself through it for your glory and for the building of your church. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Sunday, we looked at the events of the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into the city of Jerusalem. And we saw how the crowds mistook Jesus' identity as deliverer, that though they welcomed him on Sunday, waving palm branches, just a few days later, they would be shaking their fists at him. Though they welcomed him into the city with shouts of Hosanna to the son of David, just a few days later, those shouts would be replaced with shouts of crucify him. We saw how the crowds mistook Jesus' identity as, as prophet. Though on Sunday they hung on his words, just a few days later they wanted to hang him for his words. They wanted to hang him on the cross. We saw how the religious leaders mistook Jesus' identity as Lord. On Sunday, they were already reviling him. Already they were seething and plotting his death. Just a few days later, they carried it out. So this morning on this Good Friday, we are going to continue looking at the events of Passion Week. And again this morning, from the, the point of view of the witnesses, from those who were there, and so many of whom who mistook Jesus' identity. But again, lest we see this and view these things from a distance, we need to, again, in the power of the Holy Spirit, understand ourselves in this story. We need to see where we were on that day. There's an old American spiritual song that, that, that asks the question, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? And, and though that song does not pick up on it in the way that I want to bring out today, we will see that yes, we were all there when they crucified our Lord. So as we walk through Matthew 27 toge together, I want us to see where we are represented. So first of all, in verses 1 to 3, we see that the religious leaders mistook Jesus' identity as the suffering servant. They didn't understand that the Jesus came to suffer and even to die. Yes, they wanted him to die, but they didn't understand why 
Jesus came to die. Again, we've seen repeatedly that, that the, the religious leadership ha had been opposed to Jesus since very early in his ministry. All through his ministry, they'd become more and more opposed to him and to his message because he had become more and more outspoken against them and their false teaching. They hated his teaching and they hated him. As early as Mark 3, we see the Pharisees plotting to destroy Jesus. On many occasions, they, they, they tried to entrap him in his words, asking him question after question, trying to find something that, that didn't line up, trying to find something that contradicted itself or contradicted the word of God. Again and again they tried, but again and again they failed as Jesus silenced them with his holy wisdom. When this didn't work, they sought to have him killed. They wanted to arrest him, but they were afraid of the people because the people viewed him as a prophet. But now with the Passover at hand, Judas gave them their opportunity. Judas knew a place where they could come and arrest him in private, far away from the crowds. Judas knew the, the, the habits of Jesus to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he knew that after that Passover meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, that, he was, that Jesus was going to go there with them again. So Judas came with, with a band uh, armed with, with clubs and, and with swords to Gethsemane at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And when they arrived there, he revealed Jesus' identity to his enemies with a kiss on the cheek, the customary greeting for a good friend. Under guard, they had Jesus dragged to Caiaphas, the high priest who had assembled the scribes and the elders. And then Matthew doesn't tell us here, but John tells us the bitter irony of this from, from John eleven forty seven 47 to 53. Caiaphas, the high priest, had said earlier, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand. It is better for you that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. And John tells us that Caiaphas, Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but, but as a high priest that year, he was actually speaking prophetically. Here we have an enemy of Jesus, an enemy of God, prophetically speaking the truth. But he had no idea what he was really saying. He accused the others of, of knowing nothing, of failing to understand, but it is he who knew nothing and failed to understand. Caiaphas was the high priest, the one who had the... the the privilege of ministering in the Holy of Holies. He was the one who would preside over the sacrifices in the temple that very day. He was the one who would supervise the, 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 the sprinkling of the altar with the blood of the lambs as he had before him the Lamb of God. And completely missed it. He completely misunderstood and mistook Jesus' identity. But now they had Jesus in their clutches. They, they looked for false testimony. They, they looked for ways to accuse him to, so that they could put him to death. But, but again, 
Jesus would, would, not, would not submit to what they were trying to do. And accusing him of proving him to be someone other than who he really was. So Caiaphas challenged Jesus. He said, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. He had the living God right in front of him. He was adjuring him to declare who he was. And so Jesus simply said to him, you have said so. Jesus was essentially saying to him, you have declared with your own mouth who I am. And Jesus continued, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now Caiaphas was furious. He tore his robes and charged Jesus with blasphemy. This mere man, this wicked man, was accusing God the Son of blasphemy. And so he sentenced Jesus to death. And in so doing, he was sentencing himself to death. The religious leadership wanted Jesus dead. They completely misunderstood who he was. They wanted him executed, but they didn't know how. Because under the Roman the occupation, they did not have permission to carry out capital punishment. But the answer came the next morning in Matthew 27, verse 1. Again, they were taking counsel against Jesus to put him to death. How would they do it? The demonically inspired answer came the Romans. They would get the Romans to do it. What a perfect plan. That way, no matter how it fell out, if, if the people were for it, then, then they could take credit. If the people were against it, they could blame the Romans. So they dragged Jesus to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, the ranking Roman official in Judea. But before Matthew tells us what happens next to Jesus, he breaks away in verses 3 to 10 and tells us what happened to Judas. And we see here that Judas mistook Jesus' identity as an enemy. In verses 3 to 10, Judas was one of the 12 disciples hand-picked by Jesus. Jesus knew full well what was in Judas's heart from the very beginning, and yet he chose him to fulfill the purposes that God had preordained Judas to accomplish. Judas was never a true disciple. He was always a betrayer. From the beginning, he was a betrayer. We spoke a few minutes ago about how Judas, possessed by satanic hatred, had betrayed Jesus into the hands of religious leaders with a kiss. This was an outward kiss. But in his heart, Jesus was an enemy. Judas mistook Jesus as an enemy, and in so doing, he mistook the result of his betrayal 
as well as the result to Jesus and to himself. Judas did not expect Jesus to be condemned. So, so he, when, he, when he realized what had happened, he, he took the 30 pieces of silver, which Jeremiah tells us is, is a, prophetic thing, a prophetic incident because 30, prices, 30 pieces of silver was the price of a slave. And so he took those 30 pieces and threw them into the temple and said, I have betrayed innocent blood. He got that right. But Pilate still, sorry, but, but Judas still mistook his identity because, because even here, even here, if Judas had have repented, he would have been forgiven. We read here that he, though, that he, is, he is sorrowful, but the result of his sorrow is that he went and committed suicide. This is not the godly sorrow that leads to repentance that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. This was a worldly sorrow that leads to death. Friends, the atonement of Jesus Christ was sufficient. The atonement of, of Jesus Christ, the blood of Christ, was sufficient to save even Judas. But it was not efficient to save Judas. The blood of Jesus had no power for Judas because Judas did what he was destined to do. And as he hung himself, he went to his destiny. He went to his reward. Now with verse 11, we go back Look at the Romans who mistook Jesus' identity as the king of the Jews. We see this in verses, uh, 19, uh, verses 11 and, and following. Now Jesus stood before Pilate who asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said simply, You have said so. Again, he was saying, You have declared with your own mouth who I really am. But still, Pilate mistook Jesus' identity. Jesus really was the king of the Jews, but in a way that no one there would have ever imagined. They leveled more charges against Jesus. Now, if anyone was innocent of every charge, it is Jesus. If anyone had the right to defend himself, it is Jesus. But Jesus did not defend himself. In fulfillment of Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Pilate was greatly amazed at Jesus' restraint, but still he mistook Jesus' identity. Luke tells us in Luke 23, 20, that, that Pilate wanted to release Jesus. He's given motivation, as we see here, by, by his wife, who, who comes to him and tells him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now, doesn't that strike you as strange? That, that here we have the, this woman who was, was married to, to one of Jesus' arch enemies, having, having what seems to have been a, a prophetic dream. And, and she understood that Jesus was righteous and warned him to have nothing to do with Jesus. 
But still, Pilate mistook Jesus' identity. Now down in verse 25, we see that the crowd mistook Jesus' identity as a criminal. Pilate had sought to, to release Jesus by, by appealing to a custom or a tradition where on the Passover, there would be a, a prisoner who would be released, a Roman prisoner would be released to the people to, to placate them for the Passover. But they didn't want Jesus. They, they wanted Barabbas. They chose Barabbas, a notorious murderer. And Pilate asked the crowd, who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? And again, he's saying something that is true here. Jesus who is called Christ. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Christos, which is a Greek word for, it's for the word Messiah, the, the anointed one. Jesus is the Christ of God. And again, Pilate is saying this with his own mouth, but mistaking who Jesus really is. He thinks in his mind, surely the crowd would choose Jesus, the, the one who had fed them, the one who had healed them, the one who had taught them the truth over a murderer. Wrong. The religious leaders had persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to destroy Jesus. And so Pilate again asked the crowd, they said, he asked them, who, who should I release? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with this Jesus? He said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. Now, Pilate did have, have some understanding of, of what was going on before him, and, and he saw that a riot was forming. And given the events that had happened just a few days before triumph, the, the triumphal entry, when he had ordered soldiers to crush the rebellion of the Jews, a riot was the last thing that he wanted. So he cowed to the crowd. He washed his hands in front of them, declaring himself innocent of Jesus' blood. And he told the people to see to it to themselves. And they answered, his blood be on us and on our children. They rejected Jesus and called down judgment on themselves. They mistook Jesus for a criminal deserving death, choosing instead a, a real criminal who did deserve death. This was the fulfillment of Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. And back again to the Romans from verses 26 to, and following. Pilate released Barabbas and had Jesus scourged. They, they disrobed Jesus. He was tied to a stake and a, a Roman soldier would take a, a flagrum, which was a, a whip made of several thongs. And to the ends of, of that whip, there would be pieces of, of bone and metal. And, and these, these Roman torturers would, would take pride in being able to, to cleave flesh from bone as they whipped Jesus mercilessly. They plucked out his beard they beat his body in his face and they mockingly placed a, a crown of thorns onto his head and cried out, Hail, King of the Jews, mockingly. And they struck him, driving the inch-long thorns deep into his scalp. 
And now, now Pilate delivered Jesus to be crucified. The Roman soldiers laid him prostrate on the cross. They took a wooden mallet and, and drove those nine-inch spikes through his, his wrists and, and through his feet. And then using ropes and pulleys, they, they hoisted the cross up. And, and as the cross would have, would have dropped several inches into the slot that was prepared for it, Jesus would have, have felt a, a massive jolt. And all of those nerve endings in his, in his wrists and, and his feet would have been on fire. Arms extended, knees bent, his muscles would begin to cramp. He would have been forced to, to push against those spikes on his wrist to, just to gain enough, enough energy to be able to breathe. Now, death from crucifixion usually comes over the course of several days as the victim slowly suffocated, but not this time. It was the practice of the Romans to, to place a sign at the head of the cross uh, above the, the victim to, declaring what his crime was. And so Pilate had a sign placed over Jesus that said, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Again, Pilate had no idea how right he was. The sign was written in Aramaic and Latin and Greek, three prominent languages, so that everyone who passed by would see. Again, inadvertently, Pilate was declaring the truth. In his mocking, Pilate got Jesus' identity correct. In their mocking, the soldiers got Jesus' identity correct. But only God, only God himself really knew his full identity. For the one who hung there on that cross was not merely the king of the Jews. He was the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now earlier, Pilate had declared himself innocent of this. Was he? Will this verdict that he pronounced on himself be the verdict that is there for him on judgment day? He can declare himself innocent as much as he wants, but he will stand before the Christ whose death he ordered. Christ's verdict is the one that matters. Now back to the crowds and, verses, and the religious leaders from verses 39 to 43. They mocked him, saying, You who destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. And they were right. They were right that, that Jesus really was the Son of God. Jesus really would destroy the temple, but... but it was the temple of his body that he spoke to. It is the Romans themselves who would physically destroy the physical temple, the building of the temple in AD 70. The religious leaders also mocked him, saying he saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. Now again, so much of what they said was true. So much of what they said was right. Like Pilate, in their, their mocking, they got Jesus' identity right. He did save others. He, he is the King of Israel. He does trust in God. God will deliver him. God does desire him. But they didn't. But they didn't. 
They declared that if Jesus would come down from the cross, they would believe in him, but they would never get his identity right, no matter what he did. Because their hearts were hard and full of hatred for God. In verse 45, the sky goes dark. Things are drawing now to a close. The whole land was dark for three hours. And then Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some bystanders thought that he was calling out to Elijah and they watched to see if Elijah would come and rescue him. Now they mistook the identity of the one to whom Jesus called. They didn't get the son's identity right. They certainly would not get the father's identity right. One took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and gave it to Jesus to drink. And then he cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And John tells us his words. It is finished. The curtain in the temple separating the Holy of Holies, was torn in two from the top to the bottom. Jesus was making a way into the Holy of Holies through his blood. There was an earthquake. Many tombs were opened and, and bodies of the saints, bodies, bodies of, of people who had true faith in God came out alive. And people witnessed this. Many people saw this, but few understood what was going on. So many people mistook Jesus' identity, but there were some there. There were a few there who got it right. But again, as is most often the case, from a human perspective, it is the most unlikely. It's the most unlikely you would understand. You would have thought that the religious leaders, those charged with, with, with knowing and teaching the word of God, you would have thought that they would have understood who Jesus was. You would have thought the crowds who had, had been, been cared for by him, they'd been fed by him, they'd been healed by him, they'd been taught by him. You would have thought that the crowds would have understood who he was. But they didn't. Who understood? Who was there who actually got it right? Again, there was just a few. Matthew tells us in, in verses uh, 38 and 44 about robbers that were crucified on either side of Jesus. But he doesn't tell us that one of them got it right. One of them understood who Jesus really was. One mocked Jesus, but the other one responded to him, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. He knew who Jesus was. He got Jesus' identity right, and he did the only sane thing. He called out to Jesus for mercy. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus told him, Truly I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. But that thief was not the only one who got it right. 
Another unlikely individual is the Roman centurion and likely some of the soldiers who were there with him. The centurion was the commanding officer in charge of the crucifixion. He was filled with awe. He felt the earth shake. He and some of the others with him saw what happened and it appears that they believed. And so the centurion declared one of the truest statements that was made on that day. He said, truly, this was the Son of God. And there were women there who also believed. There was was the two Marys and and Jesus' mother, They were there, present with Jesus. Uh, Peter was was afraid. Most of the disciples had fled. But there were these women. We're not afraid to, to identify with Jesus because they knew who he was. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Were you there with the religious leaders? Were you there with the Romans, with the crowds? You were there. Mistaking his identity as well. And you were there as well in your guilt. Now some people think that if, if, if they had been there, that they would have stood with Jesus, they would have stood up for Jesus. But so many are like Peter, who are terrified and, and run away. You were there with the religious leaders plotting Jesus' death. You did this every time. You sinned against him. You are sinning against Jesus. You are, 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 are trying to kill. You are trying to kill Jesus by your actions. Every rebellion is a rebellion against God. You were there like Judas, betraying Jesus. Every time you treated Jesus's, Jesus as an enemy, kissing him with your words, but betraying him with your heart. You were there like the Romans, denying Jesus as the king. You did this every time you denied his rule in your life. You were there mocking him with your self-righteousness. You were there nailing him to the cross with your sins. You were there with the crowds. Every time you choose something worthless instead of choosing Jesus. You were there complicit in the death of Jesus Christ. And your only hope, our only hope, is to be there like the few spectators who got it right. Like the centurion, acknowledging Jesus to be the sinless Son of God. Like that thief on the cross, like the women before the cross. It's our only hope. This truly was the best and the worst of times. It was the worst of times in that people chose death and wickedness instead of the Messiah. 
was the best of times and that this is the only way through this crucifixion, this is the only way that your salvation can be accomplished. We must not mistake Jesus' identity like those who were gathered around on that day. We must not focus only on the physical agonies of the crucifixion. Yes, Jesus suffered agony on that cross, physical agony on that cross, but many others have been crucified, but no one has ever suffered like Jesus suffered. This was no mere man, and this was no mere torture. This was God the Son, and the punishment that was inflicted upon him was the wrath of his Holy Father for sin, not for his sin, for our sin. We must not, as so many in our culture do, focus merely on the physical sufferings of Jesus. This was unique. This was unique. Jesus was punished for the sins of his people, for the sins of the elect, for the bride of Christ. During that time, while he hung on the cross, he was bearing the punishment that you and I deserve. Fully. When you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, all of your guilt, every sin that you have ever committed or will ever commit is transferred to him. And of all of his righteousness, his perfect obedience out of love for the Father and love for his people is transferred to you. That, that's the, the glory of the gospel. Jesus takes our sin and we receive his righteousness. This is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's pray together.